Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, the hip guy, Knockreiner. No cap, Mark. I I still don't understand half the things coming out of your mouth today. And <laughs> you claiming to be hip is about as far from the truth <laughs> as a human can possibly get. I figured pop pop Corey thing that would generate a few giggles from the audience. <laughs> Just because I Anyways. can say no cap does not mean I don't get cringe every time a twenty-seven, a twenty-year-old hears me say it. Correct. Wait, are you implying that I'm twenty, or that our listeners are twenty? The listeners out there, the people who use that term, are probably twenty. Okay. Mark, which is probably why you you don't. I have no idea what no cap even means, and I'm afraid to look it up. Um, it's, it's not. But on today's cybersecurity podcast. We will be giving an update on the Okta breach that occurred halfway through last month. And then we will delve into two post-action activity reports on different nation-state threat actors based out of Russia and North Korea. Uh, with that, let's In go In other words, and... Mark is going to spill the tea. Okay, let's just start the episode. Let's get spilling. Stop. Don't slip on the cyber tea on the floor. So let's uh, start this week with story number one, which is uh, an update to a story that I don't think we actually covered on the podcast because I remember that week was a extremely busy news week. And for some reason, this slipped under the radar. Uh, but so last month, uh, around October 19th, actually, Okta, the IDP as a service platform, uh, disclosed a security incident where threat actors were able to gain unauthorized access to their customer customer support system uh, that's associated with around 130 or so of their customers. Uh, at the time, there were a few pretty notable customers that disclosed they were victims of this, one being 1Password, the password manager, Beyond Trust was another one, and then Cloudflare as well. Uh, these victims, they noticed unauthorized login attempts to their Okta admin accounts and reported them to Okta, which triggered this investigation and ultimately resulted in a, a disclosure from Okta after the fact. Uh, so this story refreshes now where just last week, uh, Okta published a update with some additional details on this incident and how it occurred. And before we get into it, like it actually highlighted a pretty trivial risk that a lot of companies may not be aware they are facing within their organizations. Uh, so this all started with a compromised service account for their customer support system. So the service account, probably used for maintenance or integrations or something like that, had view and update permissions to customer support cases. Uh, the attacker was able to compromise this account, uh, which we'll get into how in just a second. And then through that access, they gained access to some customer support cases, which had uh, HAR files uploaded to them. If you're not familiar with HAR files, it's a HTTP archive format. Basically, it's a JSON archive of your browsing session data that's typically used for troubleshooting. Like I can pop open the Chrome Dev Tools, go reproduce an issue I'm having, export a HAR file, which includes every little interaction that my web browser had while reproducing that issue, including anything I typed in and anything that was contained in that response, which includes your session information for that website. 
Um, so the threat actor then used session tokens out of those HAR files to hijack the accounts of five different Okta customers, three of which noticed the activity and reported it to Okta. That was the 1Password, Beyond Trust, and Cloudflare victims. So the in this retrospective blog post that uh, Okta published, uh, they believe they narrowed down the likely point of intrusion uh, where they found a Okta employee had signed into their personal Google profile in their Google Chrome web browser on a Okta-managed laptop, uh, which then meant the username and password of this service account had been saved into the employee's personal Google account. And that was the most likely avenue for exposure, either compromising their personal account or their personal workstation where they logged into also. So pausing here for a second, like this is one of the big reasons you see cybersecurity professionals say don't save your password in your web browser, especially not if you're logged in with your Google account, because it can yep. sync it elsewhere outside the company. And it means that if you compromise that account, you then have access to that password. It also makes you think about this is such a hard one to do in this day and age where we're working from home and everyone's multitasking. So you might be doing work, but wanting to pop open Amazon to do something really quickly or Facebook or Google to do something personal, not work related. But really it's ideal to separate business use and personal use on the actual device. I mean, if it's hard to make that the policy that you can't even do any personal thing at all on your business computer. It's a hard policy to make, so I don't know if it's one even we could make, Mark, but this this is why, right? I mean, yeah, you might think, oh, I'm just popping onto Amazon for two seconds to, to make this order during my break, or I'm popping into Gmail for a second just to see my personal me email during lunch, but... Uh, or, or vice versa on your your personal computer doing that with your work credential it's saturday i'm playing around with games but i noticed a teams pop up on my phone so i'm going to really quickly log into single sign-on from my gaming computer and check out team you know it, it it makes obvious sense why people do that and why it's easy and convenient but it also that that's why it's dangerous that's why crossing personal and business is you know, I feel bad talking about this advice because even I make that mistake myself quite often. Well, and I think there uh, is like, there's nuance to this too. Like, yeah. there are some lines you can draw. Like, I don't think that logging into Amazon.com from your corporate issued laptop is a massive security risk. But I do think saving your credential into a web browser and then syncing that credential by logging into your personal account is a risk. It is. Absolutely. And so there are like, there's, there's areas you can address without having to just say, you know, this is literally for work only, like there's specific things. And we'll get into what Okta did as well to address this after the fact too. Um, but I, I think there is nuance in there. You're right. And you're there right. are like areas it, I would say yes or no. It is where we do make policy. For instance, if you have your own password manager that's corporate sanctioned, we actually have a policy that never save your corporate or company passwords in any browser store. And, you know, we may not have had that policy before we had a password manager that gives them the convenience. But once we have our sanctioned one that we control, we specifically don't want them doing anything in the browser store for this very reason. Yep, agreed. Um, from Okta's perspective, I guess jumping into that real quick. So they actually found using Chrome Enterprise, you can push out a config to all managed workstations that are using Chrome. 
and actually block people from logging into personal accounts on corporate devices. And that's, I think, a good control that you can add um, to limit this exact type of attack from potentially occurring as well, like preventing a employee from unknowingly or accidentally syncing privileged credentials to a personal account. You can control that straight through Google Chrome. Like you can even like through group policy or whatever, um, control like saving passwords within your web browser as well too. So there are things that you can actually add technically to limit some of the exposure without coming out with a ban hammer saying, don't log into amazon.com from your corporate issued device. Now there are a few other takeaways from their investigation. They actually found uh, when they were trying to figure out like what was accessed, they made an assumption that the threat actor was accessing support cases in the exact same way that a customer would access a file in a support case. So they noted that there's a specific type of log that's generated when a customer logs into their case and then from the case downloads a file attachment. But in this attack, the threat actor was instead going to the file store for the case management system. I'm going to assume they're using Salesforce in this case because uh, it's a pretty popular one. And you can go to the files tab in Salesforce and just see everything that's been uploaded that you have permissions to see. And if you download through there, it's a separate type of log that gets generated. So they were looking at the other one, the one that's generated when a customer does it. So they didn't notice some of these files that were being accessed by the threat actor until one of the victims, uh, Beyond Trust, gave them an IP address of that suspicious activity. And they were able to then go realize, oh, there's a whole nother class of logs and events that we now can see because of that IP address. And they looked for that same activity across all their customer bases. And that's how they found a few more victims. So I thought that was another interesting takeaway of not assuming the threat actor is going to behave in the same way as a user once they get access to those credentials and making sure you're not leaving any stone unturned when you're trying to investigate the breadth of an attack. Um, they gave a few like other, as you just highlighted, a few other like takeaways and responses from their mitigation activities. They even made an entire change to their product as well, too. Uh, where now session tokens for administrator accounts in Okta are bound to the network location. Basically, when you log in, it goes, your public IP is 1.1.1.1. You're authenticated from there. If we see the session token being used from any other IP, we'll you invalidate it. You have to re-authenticate. And that is like a hallmark of zero trust, of just continuous authentication. Don't assume because they have a valid session that it's still the user. And I thought this was a great product change that they made as well, too in response to this particular incident. And if you add MFA to that re-authentication, it's just even stronger, or at least continuous. Yep. What do they call it? The new card, a continuous, you know, where they're looking at other things just to make sure that you really are who you say you are when you authenticate to it from a new place. Yep. So I got to say, like, the, the incident was not great. Like, it, getting administrative access to the IDP for an organization is a pretty big impact. But Okta has been pretty transparent uh, in their response to it. And I thought that their response was fairly thorough. So uh, I like it. And I mean, all things considered, if you are an Okta customer, it sounds like this one was very limited in terms of the victims that were actually impacted by it. Five or so. Um, yeah. Uh, so you're probably all right. But uh, good on them for the response, I'd say. Yeah, I, I mean, the transparency. We. I'm never going to throw a stone because even great security organizations can have security incidents. But I, I 
I love that they came back and did a very transparent kind of full detailed analysis of what happened. It not only will give their customers more, you know, trust in them that despite an incident, they can make changes and learn from it and grow, but it helps the entire industry recognize things that they should look at so we can grow as a whole industry. Agreed. And that's like the main reason that I even like talking about these news articles is like us and you all taking lessons from mistakes or issues that other people have had. Like that's the whole point. And this is why sharing information transparently like this is something that like CISA is pushing so hard for across the entire country. Because why why not learn from someone else having an issue I agree. Uh, to improve yourself proactively? Like that's, and that's you great. might think if it's another security company that it's some sort of like we're dishing the, what is it, spilling the tea or whatever. It's not about spilling the tea. It's not about shot is in spilling Freida. the tea even is it dish- a... Whatever, I don't know. What do you do with tea? I think, I don't you think tea gossip? Drink it. Or you throw it into the harbor. I don't know. Spill it. I don't. Okay, whatever. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think you know the female. I, I think tea is a a modern word for gossip, and spilling the tea is is sharing gossip. Uh, and the whole point is, we're not doing this just to share the gossip and giggle about some other company's security mistake. It's not that at all. Because frankly, you know, I'm. I and Mark head security for our company, and we know this can happen to any company, including ours, if you don't just always keep vigilant and you don't make changes when you learn about stuff like this. So, again, good on you, Okta. It is interesting to know. And is slang for. I'm I'm telling you, Mark. I'm more hip than you know. No cap. Sorry, I'm not aware of slang from the 1950s, Corey. You you sound like you're from the 1950s if you think spilling the tea is from the 1950s. Yes, okay. <laughs> Anyways, hip guy, Corey Dockrider, correct. Um, we now I, know how I'm going one. to intro this. Uh, <laughs> of course, yep. This podcast. Moving on. Uh, so also last week, uh, Mandiant published another one of their after action blog posts this time describing their analysis of activity last year from the Russian GRU-linked Sandworm organization against Ukraine's power grid uh, back in 2022. Uh, So this attack was originally designed to both trip Ukraine's substation circuit breakers, causing unexpected power uh, outages, and it coincided with a kinetic attack where they launched a crapload of missiles against critical infrastructure all across Ukraine. This was one of the prime examples of cyber and kinetic warfare over interlinking with each other during a single campaign. And so in their blog posts, they went and deal, uh, went through their response to this incident, describing some of the new malware and techniques that uh, Sandworm were using against Ukraine, um, including a new form of wiper that they deployed after the fact too. Um, there's a few interesting takeaways. New ones so, and old ones, right? I feel like Caddy, uh, by the way, wipers seem to be the biggest piece of malware used in all of the, the Russian-based Ukraine attacks. They're they're not pretending to do ransomware. They're not often subtly putting a Trojan that they remote control forever. They're, they're like wiping systems. Yeah, their goal is not to extort Ukraine for money. It's to make them not be able to mm, use their crap. Knock crap out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are a few interesting tidbits. So Mandiant thinks that the OT component, so the operational technology component of this attack, may have been developed in as little as two months. 
uh, which they noted this shows that they're capable of quickly delivering potentially similar capabilities against other OT systems uh, from OEMs around the world. So basically, they're pretty quick at figuring out where they're at and creating a component and attack and a very short time frame to go after that particular piece. Uh, but this whole thing started back in June of 2022, uh, where the Sandworm deployed a web shell onto an internet-facing server called NeoRegeorg, Neo-R-E-G-E-Org. Um, a month later after that, they then deployed a reverse tunnel called GoGetter. Uh, one interesting bit from this tunnel, it uses system D on Linux machines to establish persistence. Uh, basically sets itself up as a system daemon so that it will continuously restart when you reboot the system. Uh, after that, sometime later, they gained access to a hypervisor that hosted a SCADA management instance. Uh, they potentially had access to that SCADA system for around three months or so. And then on October 10th, they leveraged a ISO image to execute a native micro SCADA binary, uh, which then switched off the power substations. So basically, this they had access to the hypervisor, which then let them mount media on it. Uh, and for that um, SCADA management control computer on that hypervisor, it was configured to automatically run any inserted CD-ROMs on it. So when they mounted this ISO image from the, um, why is my brain failing on the name of hypervisor, not client, not host, whatever. The, the computer virtual machine running on the, the server basically just sees a new CD-ROM, quote unquote, inserted virtually and automatically executes it. In that CD-ROM, there was a VBS script that launched with Microsoft's uh, script interpreter. Uh, from that, it launched a batch file, which then ran commands out of a text file in the native micro SCADA executable. Um, two days after that, then, they went back and deployed a new variant of Caddy Wiper, a wiper ransomware, malware, whatever uh, file, to the IT environment, the informational technology environment, to further disrupt and potentially remove forensic artifacts. Uh, this Caddy Wiper, they deployed using group policy objects. Uh, there's a specific type of uh, deployment mechanism called Tank Trap that they use. Basically, it's a PowerShell utility that then uses group policy objects to spread and install the wiper malware. Uh, they did note it was interesting. They limited it to just the IT environment, and it did not impact that hypervisor, for example. And Mandiant actually chalked this up to maybe some miscon miscommunications within separate teams in this organization within Sandworm, uh, where you know ideally for them, they would have also impacted that hypervisor to clean up their tracks there too. But all in all, this was a multi-month campaign that resulted in actually taking down pieces of Ukraine's power grid at the same time that missiles were flying to take down other critical infrastructure points. And I guess this kind of just shows that Sandworm is not entirely done being complete jerks around the world, especially with warring their neighbor, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, obviously we know Sandworm, uh, <laughs> which is why you say they're not done being jerks. So yeah, they've they are not invited to my Christmas party, that's for sure. They don't get to come to the cookout. Do you know that reference, Mark? You're not invited to the cookout? Just checking. I, okay. <laughs> that's how it's going to be for the rest of this episode. <laughs> no cap. Oh, my God.
<laughs> but I don't know. So I guess one of the main issues with this is, yes, it's currently targeted towards Ukraine. But as we've seen with past interaction from Sandworm, they don't really go that far out of their way, way to isolate it to just that geographic region. Like they're not afraid to let it spill over into elsewhere. Uh, like not Petya is it. a great example of that, where it was targeted towards Ukraine using a Ukrainian tax software for delivery. But man, it took down Maersk, the shipping company. It nailed FedEx pretty hard, took down a lot of private organizations outside of Ukraine as well, too. Uh, where they launched their attacks against Viasat with the intent of taking down satellite communications in Ukraine. It knocked wind turbines offline in Germany as well, too. So just because you know their focus and attention is on one region doesn't mean their cyber attacks are fully reined into just that region. It seems like all of the nation state or state sponsored malicious actors are that way because like North Korea feels the same. WannaCry, you know, went everywhere. Yeah, they don't seem to care about collateral damage in some state sponsored attacks. Hopefully the uh, allies do care about collateral damage. Not saying they should be using this all the time, but uh, if you're a good guy, at least consider civilians. Yep. I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Because like these do have actual impacts too. Like WannaCry took hospitals offline in the UK. Uh, yeah. Like there was an actual threat to human life because of this cyber attack. And obviously taking right. off the power grid in Ukraine while you're blowing them up into oblivion is you know, also bad. Yeah. But disrupting critical infrastructure outside the country would be pretty dang bad as well too well let, let's just face it vpn filter and cyclops blink which are also sandworm while they were probably there to target they were for russian state-sponsored actors to target other countries they affected private organizations in all kinds of countries whether or not they're weaponized or not so mm -hmm. they just don't seem to give a crap about collateral damage when they're uh, creating their malicious infrastructure for this kind of state-sponsored BS. Absolutely. I cannot wait until we all just live happily ever after and don't have to deal with nations being jerks to each other. Maybe we'll get that at some point in the future. I don't know. Uh, I know you to... gag even saying that out of your mouth. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you believe? I, I wish that happened one day. Especially since our next story is about another nation state going after private organizations, too. Yeah, if Russia was not bad enough, let's talk about the other one I just brought up. So you remember last April, uh, we covered some research from Jamf on a uh, macOS malware variant that they called Rust Bucket. Uh, I was personally surprised as I reviewed that story because I'm still on the firm belief that macOS doesn't get malware. And I thought that was just fake news. Uh, but you deliver that actually... straight. It's almost believable. <laughs> uh, if you don't remember that one, um, Rust Bucket was a multi-stage malware that uses AppleScript to launch a fake PDF viewer that was designed to, it can read actually PDFs, but it's mostly designed to extract encrypted malware out of specially crafted PDFs that they also delivered to the victims. Uh, well, Jamf came back this week and published another blog post detailing a new macOS malware variant. Or next week for the or last week for the listeners, I should say. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, uh, this one's still associated with the same uh, Blue No Roth gang out of North Korea, uh, which they believe is backed by the North Korean government, associated with Lazarus, but technically separate. Uh, this organization focuses, like other North Korean threat actors, 
on financially motivated attacks targeting cryptocurrency exchanges, VC firms, and banks primarily, uh, we assume to steal money to fund the North Korean government uh, as a way of getting around sanctions or at least uh, mitigating the impact of sanctions. Uh, but in this case, so this kind of started with them investigating activity around Blunarov, where they found a new malware file that when they checked VirusTotal, it was undetected by any vendor on VirusTotal, despite having submissions from the US and Japan dating back to September at the point of their investigation. Wow. Yeah. September. Um, so they noticed that it was using a command and control domain called Swissborg.blog, which is designed to spoof a legitimate cryptocurrency exchange called SwissBorg.com. Now, this campaign seemed pretty similar to the older Rust Bucket campaign where they will reach out to their victims that they're targeting and either offer like a partnership or a investment opportunity or act as a like a headhunter for folks that work for them as a hook to trick them into somehow downloading and executing this malware threat. Uh, when it came to the actual malware in this case, instead of the last one, which was written in AppleScript, this one's written in Objective-C, another macOS programming language. Um, it was pretty dang simple. And I've got to admit, after reading this analysis, when they went through the technical analysis of it, I'm surprised that no vendor on VirusTotal like, flagged this as malicious because it yeah. doesn't have a whole lot of obfuscation. Yeah, they split like the command and control domain into like two separate variables they put together, but like the actual functionality of it, it's a, yeah, it's so dang basic. It's basically just a botnet that calls back home to command and control, retrieves shell commands, and then executes them through a system call. It's pretty simple. Um, so they likely uh, use this to manually run commands after compromising a system. Jamf thinks that this is one of the later stages in a multi-stage malware attack, probably similar to that uh, Rust Bucket campaign from in April. Uh, they noted, so it communicates using just plain old HTTP, or I guess encrypted HTTP, uh, to that swissborg.blog command and control server. It's got some functionality built into it to like profile the system using built-in Objective-C commands like that NS process info one. Uh, and then packages that up into either an XML or a JSON uh, blob and fires it off to the command and control server. So like if you read through the technical analysis, it is a very basic Objective-C program that is clearly like designed to communicate with an endpoint, retrieve commands, and execute them. And I don't know. I just, I'm a little surprised that not a single vendor on VirusTotal was able to catch this at the time. Uh, maybe I've got too much faith in anti-malware protections. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, maybe it was so simple that it just didn't even look that malicious because its functionality is pretty basic. I don't know. Um, but well, how many, how many normal programs, you know, create a connection to a domain, grab a bundle of information or, or send a bundle of information over HTTPS. I mean, it could Correct. just it be, is. it's so simple. It looks like a, a legitimate thing. A normal application would do nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, either way it shows that, Blunaroff are evolving and changing some of their tactics, even if their methods are at a high level still the same, going after folks in the financial sector in order to try and trick them into running malware. Theoretically, they would then use this access to steal like cryptocurrency wallets or conduct business email compromise to steal account information or 
siphon off credentials. Uh, the good news is this is all made up and fake because macOS doesn't get malware, so you're all safe anyway. Um, but I am curious. I guess Corey, you want to check and see where we're at on virus total right now when it comes to uh, detection. I'm going to let you talk while I'm doing that in the background. But yeah, I I just grabbed Drum the base roll, binary. Please. See, twenty only twenty seven. That's kind of disappointing. You'd expect That's pretty a good. little bit more out of sixty two. I don't know. Hey, it's good there. If this is yeah. Well, but anyways, way, there we go. Still pretty basic threat. And I have to imagine even with like Panda security, you know, it, with a advanced EDR solution, it doesn't always boil down to catching a specific MD5. You can still watch the actual activity that's going on. And if suddenly you start it, seeing it trying to like spout out shell commands on a system, you can still flag yeah, yeah, that yeah. and kill it pretty dang quickly. This feels like something that the the basic top level thing could only be caught with the signature but once it starts getting on a system and doing stuff edr would probably trigger a bit yeah it's like a little better for imagine. the second binary but either way it's still only half of them now catching the the universal the like the, un, the unpackaged original binary Interesting. If you are on macOS, this is just yet another reason though why you should probably have some form of endpoint protection installed even though there is still that, not stigma, what's the opposite of a stigma? That belief that macOS is immune from malware-based We threats. joke about that so much, but do you think it might actually be falling to the wayside? I do think people are starting to not trust that quite as much. I mean, the we'll good see. news is Mac does a lot for protections in this space. Like privileged commands are extremely difficult to run. They've got effectively like a no root system in there. Uh, to help prevent against things like uh, like uh, rootkits from gaining hold. I mean, that said, we've had several discussions in the past few months about bypasses to that as well, too. But they do a good job of locking down the operating yeah. system. But that doesn't they mean pretend it's protected gatekeeper. from basic malware like this. No. While they pretend Gatekeeper doesn't exist, Gatekeeper is always in the background catching known malware. And they, they have their own little... I mean, gatekeepers are a lot more than anti-malware, but I think it does have some signatures in it as well. Yep, correct. But you should still make sure you've got EDR Watch and PDR. installed on Mac Works OS. great on a Mac. does. Corey and I are happy customers. Yep. And hopefully you are too. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, before I say this, Corey, when's the last time you actually logged into Twitter? Actually, just uh, last week when I did Extra Life. I did uh, my okay. first post in like two years, probably. So only for the kids. The only reason I would touch whatever the heck it's called now, some dumb letter from a dumb dude, uh, is to save the kids with Trojan Hospital. So I Good. did lot. So, if you asked me, if you asked me that last week, it would have been a different answer. So if you do have any suggestions for sh future episode topics, uh, you can try to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at x o r r o underscore Corey's at Secadept, and we are both at hashtag the four four three podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week, even if we That's don't. That's so hear from dope, you. Mark. That's so dope. No cap. <laughs> Why? <laughs>